right. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I want to welcome uh, those of you who are uh, new with us today. Um, great to see new faces out there. And uh, of course, those who are joining us online um, over the last year or so, we have been going verse by verse through the Gospel of John. So if this is your first time joining us. We're, we're jumping into the tail end of John. So I invite you to open your Bibles with me. And turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And as I was rereading this text several times this week, it kind of suddenly hit me how quickly chapters 18 and, and 19 went. <laughs> uh, it was just in chapter 18 where we witnessed the betrayal of Judas. Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then we see the Lord go through a series of six mock trials. Uh, three before the Jewish leaders and three before the Romans. In between these overnight trials, we read Jesus was struck, beaten, spit upon, mocked, and then scourged. In chapter 19, Pilate, after finding no guilt in Jesus several times, ultimately crumbles under the pressure of religious Israel as he sentenced Jesus to death. And he delivers him over to be executed by means of crucifixion. So they took Jesus, the Bible says, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull. And there they crucified him. And from 9 a.m. until noon, Jesus anguished as he hung, nailed to that Roman cross. It's a gruesome, violent scene. His body torn to shreds from scourging. Isaiah 50 verse 6 prophetically sees the coming of the suffering servant. And he says of the Messiah, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who Pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Isaiah 52 says, Many were astonished for his appearance, for it was marred beyond human semblance. He was beaten so severely, our Lord was, that he was barely recognizable. The cross was a bloody sight. But that, of course, wasn't the worst of it, because from noon until three, the full fury and judgment at the hands of God the Father fell on the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. An event that was so dark and so awful, the earth itself went dark. For as 1 Peter 2, 24 says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree and by his wounds. You have been healed. 1 Peter 1 verse 18 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The Bible says you were bought with a price. And for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Last week, we completed chapter 19, which was the burial of Christ, and it was there we met Joseph of Arimathea, who was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, according to Mark 15, who was rich, according to Matthew 27, and who, according to John 19, was a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews. He suddenly, upon the Lord's death, shed his secrecy, though, didn't he? And he comes out boldly as a disciple of Christ, as he approaches Pilate, requesting the body of Jesus. 
And then we also saw Christ's power over death manifested even in his burial as he was still sovereignly directing every last detail, fulfilling the scriptures, not only in his death, but also in his burial. As Isaiah 53 verse 9 said, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Well, Joseph of Arimathea teamed up and they take the body of the Lord Jesus Christ down off the cross. They bound his body in linen wrappings and with spices and laid Jesus in the tomb. And imagine with me for a moment what that weekend would have been like for his closest followers. For the 11 who had been called by name, you remember, in John 1 and and had left their entire lives behind in order to follow Jesus for the last three and a half years. All of a sudden, the disappointment, confusion. And, and what about the women? And they had put all of their hope in Christ and, and had trusted in him. They had thought that he was the one, that he was the Messiah. And now, all of a sudden the one in whom they had hoped in, they have just watched him die on the cross. And where are the disciples? What about them? What are they thinking? John stayed with the women. He witnessed the cross. But what about the rest of them? Well, we don't have to wonder what they thought. We know what that weekend was like for them. Luke 24, 21 tells us that those who were a part of all this said, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. They had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. But now, with his death, all this has seemed to have changed. Now, what do they do? For three years they followed him. They had seen the miracles. He certainly had done what no one else had ever done. And, and the way he spoke and preached, no one had ever spoken like this man. He spoke on his own authority. One time when him and his disciples were out at sea, Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and said, peace, be still. And the disciples, filled with awe and fear, said, who can this be that even the wind and sea obey him? And Jesus' command, he simply spoke, and, and immediately unclean spirits fled. At the pool of Bethesda in John 5, the the disciples all witnessed as Jesus asked the man unable to walk for 38 years, do you want to be made well? The Lord asked, and, and the man said, but I have no one to put me into the pool. And Jesus simply commanded him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man got up and he was healed. What about in John 11, when Lazarus, who had been dead and buried for four days, Jesus, who said, I am the resurrection, simply cried out, Lazarus, come out. And the Bible says, the man who had died came out, walking still in grave clothes. But now he himself has died. Their hope is gone. Is salvation a myth? Has God been defeated? Friday. Saturday. Sunday. Early Sunday morning now. It seems as if there's no hope left. There's nothing else to do. And so a few of his closest followers 
a group of women decide they might as well finish what they had started. And they'll get up early on Sunday morning and they'll go to the tomb. And that brings us now to John chapter 20, verse 1. So let's read this text once through together. Then we can look at it. John chapter 20. We'll read verses 1 through 18 this morning. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. This is the reading of God's word. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth with which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had laid one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and to the, say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. As we walk through these verses this morning, I broke them up into two separate headings. First, I want you to notice in verses 1 through 10, the empty tomb. The empty tomb. Verse 1 told us, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, let me remind you, Mary Magdalene is not coming to the tomb to celebrate a resurrection. She's coming to care for the dead, lifeless body of the Lord Jesus Christ. At least that's what she thinks. And though John only mentions Mary here, we know from the other gospel accounts that she is not alone. When we harmonize the gospels, we see Mary, the mother of James, with her. Salome is with her. Luke 24 says Joanna is there. She's the wife of Cusa, one of um, Herod's servants, we find out in Luke 8. And the other women were with him. But John focuses in on Mary. Notice what else it says in verse 1. It says, now on the first day of the week. The first day of the week is Sunday. Sunday would eventually become known as the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. That's why we meet on set Sunday in celebration of the resurrection. But the reason John writes the first day of the week is because the Jews 
didn't have names for each day of the week. They didn't use Sunday or, or Monday. They simply numbered them in relation to the Sabbath. So it was day one after the Sabbath. It was day two after the Sabbath and so on through the week. So this sets the time for us. Now on the first day of the week, day one from the Sabbath, Sunday. Mary came to the tomb early while it was still dark. It's early. How early? It was still dark. And while John is giving us a, a, a time description here, um, I think he's also expressing something in addition to that as well. Um, we know that all throughout John's gospel, John uses this metaphor of, of light and darkness. We saw it at the beginning of this book in chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When the text says in John 20, verse 1, it was still dark, that's a factual statement. Uh, with the, the mountains and the position um, of the tomb, the sun had not gone yet up over the mountains. It was right at that point where it was still dark in the sky and yet the sun was rising early, very early. So yes, it's factual that it was still dark, but it was dark for them spiritually as well. I mean, all of their hope had vanished. Um, they're not going to the tomb again to, to celebrate a resurrection. No, they're going to the tomb to grieve and, and to mourn the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and to prepare it and to care for it. And so they approach the tomb with, with hearts broken, surely. And, and as far as they can tell, this whole thing is over. And so they're walking towards the tomb and how quickly things can change. Um, a week ago in our story, it was Palm Sunday. Christ was riding into town, and the people were chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. It was a massive celebration. Their long-awaited Messiah had come. But now, what do they see? Nothing but darkness. Everything seems to have been defeated Jesus had promised triumph. He said that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So many promises, but, but now this, now this. So John 20 verse 1 says it right. When Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, what else was done to that stone between him being buried on Friday and the women coming on Sunday? They put a seal on the tomb, right? The Romans sealed it. Why? Because the chief priest came to Pilate and said, We heard that imposter say that after three days he would rise again. Therefore, seal on the tomb and set a watch, lest his disciples steal the body and tell the people he is risen from the dead and we have a greater problem. So the unbelieving religious leaders were actually more reminiscent of Christ talking about his rising from the dead than his own disciples were. And they tried to stop it. But understand this, there is nothing that man could do that would be in any way a way to match the plan, purpose, or power of God. So as Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Matthew's version tells us how the stone was taken away. He writes, as Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. So as Mary approaches the tomb, she sees that the tomb, the stone had been rolled away. And as soon as she sees the stone has been rolled away, John 20, verse 2 says, she ran. 
She booked it, turned and ran, and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. A reference there to John. So Mary's running to go tell the disciples the news, and she thinks that she has absolutely terrible news that the body of Christ has been In reality, she has the greatest news, does she not? Ever known to man, Jesus Christ is alive. He is risen from the dead. That's why the tomb is empty. Verse 2, she said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid them. Mary's a devoted follower of Christ, and I think that we'll see this even later as we go through these verses. And while he was alive, she would have gone to the gates and hell and back for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm convinced. But right now, she only has eyes to see a dead Messiah. And right now is to find his dead body. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they, who's they, I don't know where they have laid him. Verses 3 through 5. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple, this is John, our author, the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And, and don't you just look that John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the, the one that's so humbled he doesn't even use his name in his own gospel. He only refers to himself as the, the other disciple or, or the disciple whom Jesus loved. But, but here in the resurrection story, John wants us to know that both of them were running, but the other disciple outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. Verse 5, And stooping to look in, he, John, saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Now, the, the words used here for, for see become extremely important in how we read the next couple of verses of the text. Notice how in verse 5 it says, stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there. That word for saw in the original text is the most common word that's used for see, seeing, saw. It's the word blepo. And it simply means to, to see something physically, to glance at it or to observe it. John didn't go into the tomb rather stooping to look in. He saw the linen clothes lying there. It's as if his body had just passed right through the linen. Then notice what it says in verse 6. Then Simon Peter came, following him, following John, and went into the tomb. So John gets to the tomb first, but Peter goes into the tomb first. And this was Peter's personality, was it not? <laughs> He'll move first and ask questions later. So Peter goes right on in, stooping, saw the linen clothes. John stooped, did not go in. He saw the linen clothes. Simon Peter came following him, went into the tomb, and he saw also the linen clothes lying there. Verse 7, and the face of the cloth with which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. And this description of the linen clothes reminds us that this is an altogether totally different event than when Lazarus had been raised back to life from the dead in John 11, when Lazarus was raised, his hands and feet were still bound in linen strips. His face was still wrapped with a cloth. And the reason is, is because Lazarus, when, when he was raised, he was still in his mortal body that would die again. Not so with Jesus. Not so with the Lord. Jesus had been raised in his glorified body, having passed right through the grave clothes, just as he would pass right through later on through the door where the disciples were hiding. The body has not been stolen, you see. Christ has been resurrected. 
forever providing victory over sin, death, and the grave. Now, what's interesting as we look at the wording here that I mentioned is when John got there in verse 5, he saw the linen cloths lining there. That was the word blepo. But as we keep reading, we see a different word that's now being used as Peter looks in to see what's going on. It's not the word blepo that's used now in verse 6. It's the word threo. You can hear our, our English word uh, theory or to theorize. It means to, to gaze upon for the purpose of analyzing. He's taking an additional look and analyzing this. Blepo, the first word. John saw the linen clothes lying there. He didn't understand it. He just observed it. He saw it. Now Peter goes into the tomb. Threo. He saw the linen clothes lying there. And so he begins to ponder what this meant. See the progression of understanding it's going. John saw, but he just observed. Peter saw, and he began to consider, ponder, imagine what this might mean. But it doesn't end there. John has more for us to see as well. Notice in verse seven, uh, 8. Then the other disciple, now we're talking about John, who had reached the tomb first, he reminds us, also went in. So now John is gone going in and he saw and believed john uses yeah a, a third word a different word in the greek to tell us what happened here it's not the first word blepo it's not threo this time he used the words horeo which means to see with comprehension for the first time he begins to really see what has taken place in the tomb and as the scales begin to fall off of John's eyes and he sees, says he saw and believed. He didn't just see it physically there. He didn't just see it and, and theorize or what it might mean. John began to see and understand exactly what has taken place here. An empty tomb. And the words that Jesus had spoken to him long ago were, were suddenly coming alive to him. For it was back in Mark chapter 9 that Jesus had told them that he would rise again. And as they were coming down off of the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus had charged Peter, James, and John not to tell what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And, and now all this time later, John stands in the empty tomb and he begins to understand what the Lord meant. My fear is that for so many who have maybe been accustomed to the story, you know the names, Maybe you could even retell the story and tell it compellingly. My question to you is, do you really see? Do you see the cross as the righteous for the unrighteous? Or do you still see your good works instead? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name? In our culture today, so many of us know the story. We're a church society here in the West. We've been churched. It's a familiar story. Maybe you also have seen and, and glanced at the cross before. Or maybe you've even sat there and you've theorized about it. Or maybe you're like the Apostle John and, and you've been around long enough. You've seen the cross. But when it comes to the resurrection... You stoop down to look, but only long enough to glance at it. Verse 9 makes clear that's where the disciples had been. For it says in verse 9, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Even though Jesus had spoken nonstop about his death to the disciples, Christ 
crucified has always been a stumbling block to the Jews. A bloodied Messiah? Are you kidding me? All of Israel wanted, as we just sung, the lion from the tribe of Judah. Now the lion will come, but first God needed to send his lamb slain for the sins of his people. But now at the tomb, he must rise again because the dead Savior is, well, no Savior at all, is he? He must rise again because he must triumph over his enemies. He must rise again to to vindicate his gospel claims. He must rise again to demonstrate that the Father's wrath has been perfectly paid in full by the Son. And in doing so, he becomes the first fruits, and we are his harvest. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus said back in John 14, because I live, you will live also. Beloved, because of Christ's resurrection, death will be our gain in every conceivable way. We have a Savior who not only died in our place, but rose again so that we could live with him. This is why Philippians, Paul can say in Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We have nothing to fear, beloved, because Christ has defeated death for us and one day we will enjoy eternal life with him. Life free from sin, free from shame, The Bible says he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne will say, Behold, I am making all things new. Well, in verse 10, It says, then the disciples went back to their homes. (laughs) The stage was now set for the appearances of the resurrected Lord. The first of those appearances won't be to John. It won't be to Peter. It won't be to the 11. Jesus' first appearance will be to a woman named Mary from the town of Magdala, better known as Mary Magdalene. That brings us to our second heading as we go through the rest of these verses 11 through 18 and we now see the risen lord we've yet to see the risen lord only his empty tomb well that's about to change notice what it says in verse 11 it reads but mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept she stooped to look into the tomb Now, let me quickly give you again what the order is of what's going on because there's a lot of moving parts. The women get to the tomb first. Mary Magdalene is there. Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, Salome and Joanna, the wife of Cusa. Those are the ones at least I can discern from the four gospel accounts. As the women get there, they see that the stone is rolled away. It appears Mary Magdalene instantly just turns and, and takes off to go tell Peter and John, leaving the other women there at the tomb. And we can read about them as we did in Matthew's 
version of the resurrection. So she goes and gets the disciples. They, the disciples, come running back without her, as we have just read their story. The other women at that point also have seemed to have left after they had seen and, and spoken to the angels. And hearing, he is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. And so then, while they're heading back, Peter and John get there. And they go inside the tomb. And the disciples then go back to their home. And it's at this time that Mary Magdalene now arrives back at the tomb, the women having already left. It's kind of like one of these old black and white silent movies with all the men and women running around in circles. So the disciples went back to their home, verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Why? Because she still thinks someone has taken her Lord from the tomb. Her, her heart's broken, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Verse 12, and she saw, thereo, two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. So, so like bookends, Mary sees these two angels sitting on either end of the slab with the Lord Jesus had laid. And according to Mark and Luke's account, the angels appear like young men. They've assumed a, a human-like appearance. In Matthew's gospel, it says their appearance was like lightning and their clothing white as snow. Luke says they were in dazzling clothing. And so this dark tomb, no doubt, is lit up from the radiance of these two angels who have descended from the throne of grace and from the heights of heaven. Death and darkness have been banished from this tomb. And these angels are, are, are God's heralds and, and the imminent self-disclosure of the risen Christ. But Mary, she's still in the dark. And so it says in verse 13, they said to her, woman, which is a term of respect, woman, why are you weeping? And this is actually a gentle rebuke, as if to say, get a hold of yourself, woman. Uh, this is inappropriate. If you only knew what you are about to know in just a few minutes, you would not be weeping. So the angel said, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. And I love this. That's my Lord who's missing. That's my Lord. Someone has taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. What a statement of faith this is. I mean, it would have been great to have seen any of them believe in the resurrection. <laughs> but I see here Mary believing it doesn't matter how dark these circumstances are. It doesn't matter how bleak the outlook is. It doesn't matter that he's been crucified, that he's been dead, that he's been buried, that he's been buried. He's still my Lord. Now, what does that word Lord mean? First of all, I think it's important we, we understand what this means as she's identifying him as my Lord. My Lord. First of all, mine means that you have a, a personal relationship with Jesus as Lord. He's not your wife's Lord. He's not your husband's Lord. He's not your church's Lord because they talk about him as Lord. No, he's my Lord. He's my Lord. And, and then the term Lord, we can say it means master. It, it means ruler. It, it means sovereign one. It means the one possessing all authority over a person's life as your Lord and all authority over all circumstances of a person's life. And for Mary to identify Jesus as her Lord means that she has surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. That she is now in submission to the word of God. That she is loyal to him as Lord. She is committed to his kingdom that he's Lord over. She is no longer living for herself and her own agenda. No, Jesus is Lord over my life. And, and I now follow him wherever he leads me. 
That's what it means for Jesus to be her Lord. And Jesus must be your Lord if you are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In Acts 16 verse 30, the the Philippian jailer, the Philippian jailer who, who had Paul and, and Silas locked up. And, and when they get out in chapter 16 of Acts, he asks, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He was going to kill himself. And they said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So I need to ask you, have you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? And have you confessed Jesus to be your Lord? Listen, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the question is, will it be in this life or at the judgment? He will not be anyone's second fiddle. He will be Lord. So Mary, who is, is still weeping uncontrollably, who believes that her Lord is still dead, says, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Now, how does she not know that this was Jesus? Well, evidently, he prevented her from recognizing him. <laughs> He'll do this later also in Luke chapter 24 to the disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. But here in John 20, essentially, the Lord has put a veil over her eyes, preventing her from seeing him for who he is. Then in verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? This indicates she's still weeping. She cannot stop weeping. This has ripped her heart out. Where is my Lord? Why are you weeping? And then the Lord asks, whom are you seeking? And this is a rhetorical question. It's intended to make a point. We should be asking ourselves, who are you seeking? Verse 15 continues, supposing him to be the gardener. That's how veiled her, her eyes were. To be the gardener. Mary thought she was speaking to the gardener who was working outside of Joseph's tomb. In, in the garden. At Joseph's tomb. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. In other words, if, if you have picked him up from here and, and carried him and moved him to another tomb, to another grave, tell me where you laid him because I have to be where my Lord is. Tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Is this not commitment? Little Mary, if you'll just tell me where he is. She, she is ready to go herself to wherever they have laid him. And little Mary will pick Jesus up from the tomb where they have laid him and will carry the dead body of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to put him back into the tomb he was supposed to be in so she can finish caring for his body. That's her attitude I see here. I'm committed for whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Where is my Lord? Now in, in verse 16, this story gets really good. Jesus said to her, And she turned and 
said to him, Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. <laughs> she knew exactly who this was as soon as the Lord addressed her by name. It, it, it's like the veil has been lifted. And she saw exactly who he was, her Savior, her Lord. And it speaks to just how powerful the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ is. John 5, it says, an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. This is the very same voice that in Genesis 1 verse 3 said, let there be light, and there was light. <laughs> and if you've been called out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun, this is the very same voice that has called you by name. Jesus said in John 10, 3, the sheep hear my voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. If you have been born again into the kingdom of God, he called you by name, and he has led you out. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says that we have been called into the fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 tells us that he has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, it is only by the miraculous work of of his grace that he has chosen to make himself known to you. Before you were regenerated, Jesus was only veiled to you. Make no mistake about it. He was there. But you only saw him at Christmas or maybe at Easter or maybe when you drove by the church and you saw the pretty stained glass or maybe you saw him as a carpenter, or maybe, like Mary, you saw him as a gardener. See the picture that's happening here? It wasn't until that moment that Jesus chose to remove the scales from your eyes and, and allowed you to see him for who he truly is that you could see, and suddenly in that moment, you saw the Savior. You saw your Lord, the one who died on the cross in your place. You, you had eyes to see, but you could not see. You had ears to hear, but you could not hear. But in that moment of the new birth, Jesus called you by name. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which is an uh, intensified form of, of rabbi. John writes, which means teacher. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Now, why would he say that? Because she's clinging to him. <laughs> it's a simple observation. We know from Matthew's account that she took hold of his feet. Mary is so overwhelmed and so overcome with emotion and excitement for her risen Lord. She literally collapses at the Lord's feet, grabs onto them, and begins to worship him. She just puts her arms right around his ankles, just clinging to him as if she's never going to let him go. She doesn't want any more separation from her Lord, you see. And so Jesus has to say, stop clinging to me. <laughs> I have more people to see. I cannot drag you around all day. And he explains why, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. 
Acts 1 tells us in 40 days from now that the Lord will ascend from the Mount of Olives and be taken up into heaven in the clouds. And then two angels will appear and say, men of Galilee, as the disciples are, are staring up, looking at the Lord as he disappears into the cloud. Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He was taken up visibly and bodily. He's coming back visibly and bodily. Verse 17, so Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. But what we admire most about this woman was her love and loyalty to Christ. Jesus appeared first, not to John, not to Peter, not to the eleven, but to a woman. Mary Magdalene, because Jesus was her Lord. And if I could just lay hold of Christ in such a way that he would have to say to me, stop clinging. I've got other people I need to attend to. I have yet to ascend to my father. Let it be so. Well, verse 18 closes is this amazing section of verses and and John writes, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. <laughs> can you imagine the excitement? <laughs> yeah, you can clap. That's... She was clapping. They were such joy. I mean, Mary must have just burst into that room, <laughs> falling over, weeping for hours. And here again is yet another example that Mary gives us as she instantly becomes a witness for Christ. The rest of verse 18 says, and that he had said these things to her. And, and Mary relays a message that Jesus had said to her. The Lord said, go, in verse 17, to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. For the first time, the disciples who have been referred to as slaves, as friends, here are called my brothers or brethren. And did you notice what else Jesus said in verse 17? Say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. Sounds like they're in the family. Are you in the family of God? Amen. Have you been adopted as a, a son or daughter of the king of kings and lord of all lords? Jesus said, the sheep hear my voice. And he calls the sheep by name. And he leads me out. He leads them out and they will follow. For they know his voice. Have you heard the call of the good shepherd? I pray that you have. If you are in need of prayers this morning or, or any other reason you'd like to come forward today, um, we'd love to sit with you and pray with you. And um, everyone else, if you could please stand, we'll sing Hymn of Heaven.